This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall, uh, of course, still talking about the brain and addiction. And we have a guest here, Doug White. Um, Doug works at the Foundry, but also is a recovering addict himself. Uh, went through the Foundry program, which we talked about being a year-long program, nine months there at the Foundry, and then three months, um, what do you call that? Outpatient. Outpatient, yeah. yeah. Um, so we want to get into your story and how you yeah. how you ended up there. We already talked about it being an opiate addiction, started with Oxycontin, um, and then into heroin. At what age did all that begin? The opiate addiction began when I was probably 18 years old in school. Uh, the underlying causes are probably similar to what you hear from almost anyone you speak to who is in addiction or coming through addiction was uh, in high school. It began with um, drinking and marijuana. The difference was uh, when I was in high school, I started, even in high school, I had consequences from uh, that use and, and probably very quickly could check off several of the things you mentioned uh, on the checklist. Um, but uh it was like when I got a hold of a substance, in, in particular marijuana, when I was in high school, um, I went further than, than everyone else. Where everyone else would smoke it after school sometimes or on the weekends, it had to be where I was smoking it all the time. It became part of my identity of who I was. I wanted to be able to uh, provide it to others. So I guess maybe self-esteem, creating self-esteem from people needing that. And, uh, and so very quick, right after I graduated high school, first time I was ever arrested, got arrested for possession of marijuana uh, at my home. Um, police came to my house, and it's the first experience I ever had with the law enforcement. And so, um, so I had very quickly negative experiences, but none of them, uh, especially that one, didn't alter the path, I guess, so to say. Now, how did they come to your house and arrest you for possession? Like your parents turned you in or no, something? No, but, but someone else did turn me in, and I had... Um, a good bit of marijuana in my car and they came and uh, knew where it was and, and found it and luckily um, got a not luckily I got a possession of marijuana but I was slapped on the wrist um, and just kind of said you know go about what you do um, just pay a fine had to Cut get a lawyer and so forth but yeah. there, so there would it have been better do you think at that point if you would have had a stiff punishment well I've thought I've thought many hours on that and I'm not sure and, and Mark maybe can get more deeply into this, but I'm not sure anything maybe at that point could have really altered the path. I hate to say it so so definite, like there was no intervention that could have happened because I'm sure there was, but uh, it would have had to, I don't think legal consequences could have made that, that intervention or that change. Um, but I, uh, I moved along and I went to uh, college. I went to Auburn, as we were discussing uh, in the break, huge Alabama fan, real tied, but uh, so that didn't help anything. Which, so no, yeah. no, that's where it all went wrong when I, when I headed down to the plains, as y'all say. Uh, and they, who was the head football they, coach in Tuscaloosa they, at that time? Because that also could have had something to do with it. it in might Tuscaloosa, have, yeah, that could have I mean, uh, upped your stress level. There were some oh, dark yeah. years in oh, Tuscaloosa. Oh yeah, and I was in yeah. Auburn when during yeah. the dark years. So that's that right. Didn't, yeah. That didn't make it any better. That's right. <laughs> so, um, but while I was at Auburn, introduced to everything. Uh, as a college student and uh, not necessarily like it, it came out of nowhere and found me I, right. I was seeking it of course but um, I found Oxycontin not long after getting to Auburn and the first time I ever tried it was intravenously wow and the first time first time how about that never taking it 
First time I ever tried it. Remember the circumstance. Was in a trailer. Remember who was there with me. Uh, peers, <laughs> peers, friends. I mean, it's, it's someone yes, you knew. Yes, there yeah. were there were two girls and another guy that I knew. Had you ever taken anything else intravenously? Yes, I, no, not intravenously. No, first time I'd ever. And and I tell people that there was absolutely. You know how you can always say when you're doing, especially in college, and you're smoking marijuana, or maybe you're doing cocaine and you're drinking. Uh, I'll never use a needle. Well, the first time it was ever presented to me, no defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, none. No barrier. Remember the triad, the three si- yeah. uh, systems? Impulsive, impulsive behavior. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He couldn't regulate his impulse to try it. He's compelled to do it. Friends were doing it. Some people would, I mean, some people who may have opiate addiction could never stick a needle in their arm because they're too risk averse to that right. particular action. Right. You know, but for him, that wasn't one of the barriers, and he just plowed right through it. And yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is a very significant moment in my story um, was that moment when I tried it because I can remember laying back on that bed. I was sitting on the edge of the bed, laying back on that bed when I tried it and having a conscious thought, this is how I'm supposed to feel the rest of my life. Y'all remember this? That's, I was about to say this. That last the month, exact yeah. same line. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. We were talking to a fellow last month uh, about addiction, and he, he described it, and correct me if I am remembering this correctly, but basically saying for his whole life he felt like something was just not quite right, he was a little bit out of place, and that's what the substances did for him was make him feel like, oh, this is the way I'm supposed to feel. Right. And, and that's right. what I was going to ask you was, you know, because I'm sure you had peers growing up uh, in high school and then at college as well who did not wind up with, you know, substance right. usage Many, issues. Yes. Why do you think you? Why Why the difference? Did and, Did you feel and, unusual? You know, or like you didn't fit in no, before? No, no, and and it's and I guess everyone comes from different backgrounds, but I, as far as it's being involved, I was highly involved in high school. I yeah. played sports. I was. Uh, what you would classify a leader in the group, and and uh, and so no, no, I've always, I've never suffered from confidence problems or self-esteem problems that I was aware of, yeah. and uh, so n- nothing that was really like I was searching for um, an answer, an answer, or, or yeah. a, a reason to fix something, or huh. that I was battling internally that that I had to turn to this. Um, it was just. Uh, my circumstances and I liked the feeling that it gave me. I liked the response from using. Mm-hmm. And uh so in contrast, Will had uh, recently the oxycontin oxycodone. Codone, yeah, you took and no. you said you specifically did not like the way it made you feel. So Yeah, so been to be really clear on that. So three times I've had, you know, once my wisdom teeth out, once a back procedure, uh and then now this uh, vasectomy last week or whatever. And so those are the three times I've had it. Each time, like the first time I take it, uh, I think like, oh, this is weird and spinny and whatever. And, you know, and it's more interesting to me. And the second time, I hate it every time. This time uh, was only, the you know, again, the third you know time I really used it. Uh, and, yeah, just didn't like it. Yeah. I just, it's so, just not something yeah, I could. So your emotional regulatory system doesn't respond in the same way as Doug's. Doug right. had a very yeah. different emotional experience. And it felt really excessively pleasurable, which starts stimulating dopamine. So in your case, the experience wasn't as pleasurable, so the dopamine wasn't released as much because dopamine is, is again, the reward neurotransmitter. Or at all. So this, his his was uh, euphoria, and he really, his brain said, this really feels good. Even though he wasn't feeling bad before. Right. He felt exceptionally good with it, and his brain said, I want that again. 
Right. And who can blame a person? That's the thing is like, so just you're kind of unlucky that this thing that Will's not that crazy about that you were real crazy right. about it. And it turns out that it's something that can wind up sort of ruining your ruining life. Your life, Yes. Who right. doesn't and, want to go and, back to something that feels good? And I'll, t- right. I'll tell you kind of a, in retrospect and, and, because I look back on my life often, and when I was 14 years old, I was in a situation where I was burned, both of my legs from my knees down, and uh, 14 years old, didn't realize at the time that I was on pain medicine in response mm-hmm. to the burn injuries for a year. Didn't My parents mm-hmm. regulated it, and when it was time for it to not be taken anymore, it was taken away from me. Didn't ever realize that. And you were that. okay with that? Almost think that, you know, fast forward to laying on that bed at that moment uh, and having that large amount of opiate just it connected and it just it unbeknownst to me where it came from my body was physically responding to hey i know this mm-hmm. and i liked what it did to me at that point i liked the response that i got it actually worked for what, mm-hmm. a, a real use at that point and uh, mm-hmm. and i'll tell you that thought i was going back to the thought when i had that thought that con- that was a very dangerous thought at that moment because i consciously said more or less, I'm going to do what it takes to pursue this feeling lifelong. I made a commitment to myself to feel wow. like that the rest of my life yeah. at that point. And so this is the first time I've tried it, and I've already made a commitment to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to do it. And so what that looks like, yeah. fast forward from the first time I tried it, set, I did it every day for seven months. Seven months later, after trying it on that bed, uh, I was arrested um, for breaking in two pharmacies in one night. In, in Auburn. Uh, never committed a crime, a property crime, any crime like that before. Um, and that's serious business. Seven months later, first time I really ever experienced withdrawal. First time I had the physical effect. And, mm-hmm. and one night was doing other drugs, could not obtain opiates. And my response, that's how quickly my reasoning, my sound judgment, whatever may have been, had just been mm-hmm. uh, abandoned for the use. And so I said, if I can't get it, I'll go get it. And so that quickly after starting that addiction, I was faced with, and so I, four felonies that night, uh, seven months later. And so that started. Uh, and you were, so 19th is at, at this point. I was 20. 20. Yeah, okay. right, right around 20. Wow. And so that quickly, so me realizing I had an addiction problem was not a long term. It didn't take me a long time to realize um, that I've got serious problems and serious consequences. The problem was it took me a long time to realize that I would ever want to do anything about changing it. Um, How old were you when you went to the foundry? I was, it's been six years, so I'm 38, yeah. 32. It took a 20 while. To 30, 20 to 32. Is That's here. a while. Right. That's a while. You're in and out of jail during all that oh, time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, prison. And so, um, and I'll kind of fast forward through that to, to where I got today, but... Uh, so that started the process. That first time I was arrested, that started the process of multiple arrests, multiple rehabs. Um, and so all the way up into 2002, I uh, woke up one morning in severe pain, felt like I was getting stabbed in my lung, got rushed to the hospital, and they eventually rushed me to UAB and found out that I had gotten endocarditis in my heart valve from infection from IV drug use. Um, and it had eaten up my body so much that I immediately was on life support for seven months, had two open heart surgeries, three lung surgeries, should not have lived. Uh, very, very. All from the intravenous. IV use. Yes. Yes. So, yes. so you essentially, you know, bacteria into your, into your blood vessels, 
lodges somewhere in your heart, starts decaying away. Um, he was in And that did shape. not stop you. And, and let me let me strengthen that point. Yeah. Seven months You're in You're dedicated, dude. That's seven impressive. Seven months in yeah. 2002. Came to, and everyone thought, that's it. He made it through this. He's, he's beat addiction. I was, I was more miserable than I was before, and I started, even, even on the spiritual sense, started blaming God for bringing me through that because I got into a point before that of misery that, that I, I really didn't want to make it through that. And so it took, it took me about three months to learn how to walk again. I'm almost 6'4", and I weighed 128 pounds when, when I was released into physical wow, therapy. Wow, hmm. Um So about three months of rehab and learning how to walk again, rebuild strength. I, I moved next door to what's called UAB Townhomes, where you're close to your doctor care and you can do other things. Uh, was there a month at the most and went right back to drugs. So two to four weeks right after I started using drugs again, I was readmitted in 2003 for the same diagnosis, put on life support for four months, again this time with a follow-up heart surgery. Wow, um, that's unbelievable. So what was the right difference uh, with the foundry? Well, what 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 well, can a year so, there so, do to change? <laughs> well, so he had to get to the foundry first. I had to get to the foundry. So he left the hospital a second time, right? I left the hospital a second time, that wasn't Went enough. back to substances again. Went back to substances, and the legal system had finally had enough of, of Doug White and everything <laughs> he was doing. And all the chances they had given me, and so I was sentenced to two 15-year sentences in the um, Alabama State Penitentiary. Okay. How well, long were you there? I uh, was there three years and seven months, uh, paroled out, moved to Tuscaloosa when I got out. And How long before you used again? I'll tell you, I made, it, <laughs> I made it 10 months, and I made it 10 months on sheer willpower. The whole time I was in prison, three years, seven months, I, I didn't turn to anything other than myself. I was so eaten up with pride, but I said, okay. I can stop this myself. And so I spent the entire time I was in prison not using, not partaking in anything, uh, trying to better myself. And when I got out, started back to school and moved to Tuscaloosa and uh, went on my own for a a huge 10 months until uh, Mm -hmm. circumstances took over. Key point here, when you're in jail and not using, you're not in life and not using. Right. Huge transition. 10 months later after coming out of jail, back on using back on using how did you get to the point that you went to the foundry and so i got to the point that i went to the foundry is that it it, it got bad quick of course and it, and it escalated and it uh, i tell people i went through all of this and and the only person that was still pick up a phone call from me was my mother and she was just uh eaten up by motherly love and, mm-hmm. and felt a responsibility to her son and she knew she was probably my biggest enabler and and so it finally got to a point where i called her one day and she's a traveling nurse and she said uh, I'm changing my number. You don't know where I am, but I'm changing. This will be the last time we talk. And it was that survival instinct kicked in. I know this is the, the only person I have left that I can manipulate to send me money that can that I can call to rescue me in certain situations. And I'm about to lose it. So uh, I tell people that kind of that clicked the switch to I said out of desperation, help me one last time. Help me help me do something one last time. And and her offering during that conversation was. Uh, I'll send you to the foundry. That's all I can do. I've, I've spent everything I could possibly yeah. spend on every every other option. That's it. Take it or leave it. And, uh, of course, I took it. Um, really didn't think the circumstances would be any different this time. I'd done this many a times. I, I was good at doing it. I thought I could get everyone off my back. And, and that's the crazy thing. After all these circumstances I just laid out, I still went in when I went to the foundry thinking, this is a temporary fix to get me back to that feeling I mentioned on that bed. And... Uh, and so we have a place in Coleman called the Foundry Farm. It's all guys and, and kind of the experience that changed my life. And I'll tell you, but 
we have a bunch of guys and, and we have a campfire out in the middle of the woods and these are 50 something guys who have either been to prison to multiple rehabs to just tremendous uh, life experience and substance abuse and we call it red letters and black coffee and the thing was is we get down there in the middle of the woods we have a big bonfire and the red letters is we talk about jesus's words out of the bible and the black coffee is we know each other pretty well we're all addicts so there's no bs we're going to call you out on anything um and make you face it and there's so, actual coffee too right <laughs> there actually was a lot of okay good coffee. i was about to say i was like that's that's kind of a bum deal if they get you out there there's no actual coffee um, yeah. but i had a i had an experience that night um after this campfire I was coming back up with foundry farms 80 acres and kind of a surreal place but uh after hearing everything for so long coming back up i decided to pray for the first time now the first sincere prayer since since before any of this began i've done hundreds of the bargaining prayers like get me out of this god and i promise you i'll never do it again uh, but the first time in the key words humility the first time uh, i had let go of some of that pride that that had eaten me up and in humility knelt down and prayed for the first time and and um and that's all we try to do at the foundry is is show you the circumstances and give you an opportunity to make a decision yourself and so in that prayer, I kneeled down and I just asked, I asked God, I said, I'm acknowledging I need you. I'm acknowledging I can't do this on myself, that I need uh, help. I need you in my life. And in my experience, which I tell men in our program, it doesn't happen that way for anyone, for everyone, and, and, and everyone's different. But for me and what I've been through, uh, I stood up. I had a faith in that prayer, and I stood up from that prayer, and I just I realized from that, I'm, I'm telling you all, from that moment forward, the minute I stood up, I realized I wouldn't deal with addiction again. About that. Which, and I know we're got to come up on a break here. Uh, you know, higher power, AA. You've heard all that before. Right, Twelve yeah. steps, all the M. He finally got it in his head. He wasn't in control. He had no. to search for something bigger. So, hmm. what a go. great. Uh, Thanks for sharing that testimony yes. to, to what you've been through and and uh, reaching out to others and all the work you're doing. And we really appreciate you sharing. Yeah, thank no you doubt. for having me. I've enjoyed it. And, and yeah. uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's all I was going to say. It was thanks a ton. Of course, if people want to find out more, then go to foundryministries.com. Correct. Um, and see everything that the Foundry offers there, which is a really great program. And it's crazy that you now work there going on five years. Right. And it's just, it's a, uh, I live in gratitude. It's a blessing every day. And Real quick, uh, uh, you got a family now, right? I do. And and, and my wife, uh, we live over in Vestavia. My, I, w- I met my wife in my office. I'm like, God brought my wife to my office that's convenient and, uh, her name is Forsyth and we have a new baby girl who is 14 weeks old today oh, congrats. congrats and yeah. uh and and like I said that the key is giving back and gratitude I was given such gratitude from that freeing moment yeah um that I just want to give it back that's pretty day. cool we appreciate you giving yep no doubt. thank you yep. great stuff uh, again go to foundryministries.com to find out more information there all right let's take a quick break when we come back we'll have another guest join us uh, this one we're gonna be talking about college uh, and, and the addiction issues that people face at college, specifically here at the University of Alabama. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio in Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs> 